John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and um, we'll begin at verse number 1. My heart is really full this morning, and um, we're going to be enjoying communion together here in just a moment, so I always try to preserve some time at the end of the message for us to partake of communion together. But there are some things on my heart that I want to share with you today, and I believe Father's got some things that He wants to say to us, and I'm praying that we all have um, eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand um, what He's saying. Amen? John chapter 17, verse number 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son also may glorify You. You have given Him authority over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as You have given Him. And this is eternal life that they may know You, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. Jesus is praying this prayer to His Father at the conclusion of His earthly ministry. If you understand the timing of this, Jesus is about to be uh, arrested, falsely accused, and um, tortured and executed. All, of course, um, as our substitute. All, of course, as a sacrifice um, for your sins and for mine, for that matter, for the sins of the whole world. In verse 2, when it says you've given Him authority over all flesh, what He's saying here is that that Father God put Jesus in a unique position as our substitute to represent us all. And um, that word authority means both the right and the might, the power, the, the right and the might to do something on behalf of all humanity. And of course this was Jesus, again, His substitutionary work on the cross. He then talks about giving eternal life to as many as you have given Him. And of course... This idea of eternal life is like the grand prize of all grand prizes. Um, it's, it's what people long for and, and, and crave. And, and, and yet Jesus here gives us one of the most practical and, for that matter, beautiful understandings of what eternal life actually is. And that's in verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus came to give us eternal life. He came to give us what's expressed here in verse number 3, that they may know you. And this word may know or this expression may know you literally means that we may have personal fellowship with God. If you write things in the margin of your Bible, I want, I want to encourage you to write that. Amen. As the Lord revealed this to me through study, now as I read, especially in the Gospels or in the Epistles, the New Testament, where it speaks of eternal life, I'm prompted to go back and insert what eternal life really means, what it really is. Eternal life is having personal fellowship with God. So, Jesus came to give us eternal life, or we could say it this way, Jesus came to give us personal fellowship with God. Amen. Now, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15. John, the 15th chapter. This is all part of a bigger study, and I know that um, some of you are guests with us this morning, and so um, I'm hesitant to, to reference other things that we've talked about because you're like, well, I'm being left out of this. I don't, I don't know what those... Uh, things were, what they mean, and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So um, 
let me say this, okay? I'm seeing lots of children in here. Children are more than welcome in here, but I did not announce, especially to our guests, that we do have children's church. If you'd like to, um, Sister Pam is back there with them. They'll have a lesson geared towards them. They'll have a craft and all that stuff. So forgive me for not saying that earlier. So, but if your kids want to just stay right there with you, that's fine too. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but if you would like the kids to go to children's church, you're okay to, to let them go now. Pastor Rick standing, he got up when I said that to escort them back there if anybody would like to do that. So forgive me for not saying that earlier. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. All right. Um, so in the course of our study, what, what we've learned from the scriptures is that everyone who's been given to Jesus by the Father are actually the ones who first received the gift of Jesus that the Father gave to us. And I'm not going to try to remake that case from Scripture, but the Bible says Jesus came to His own, His own rejected Him, but as many as received Him, to those He has given the right and the might to become children of God. So God the Father gave Jesus to the world. Now those who are in the world who receive the gift of Jesus, Father God gives to those individuals the right and the might to become offspring or become sons and daughters, children of God. Amen. So Jesus becomes this dividing factor. And we'll get to that either tonight or next uh, week. But you know, we, we talk about Jesus bringing peace, and certainly He did bring peace, but in order to bring peace, He first had to bring a sword. And, and Jesus not only split time in half, Jesus will ultimately split all of humanity in half. And it all comes back to how we respond to Him being given by the Father to us. How we respond to Him being given by the Father to us. Now, ultimately, what we see is that Father God is longing to make you one with Him. He's longing to make you a part of His family. Now, with that said, let's go to John chapter 15 and verse number 15. John 15, 15. Jesus speaking, He says this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. How many of you know you can tell things to a friend that you can't tell to a stranger? You can confide in a friend. You can trust a friend. A friend who understands you. You can even, the Bible says, and I'm not suggesting that you put your business out there for everybody, but the Bible even talks about a friend that's so close that you can confess your faults to. That you can, you can share even, you know, secret because you know, again, this person is true blue. This person is a friend. This person is not going to reject me. This person is not going to judge me. But this person is going to listen to me and love me and allow me the opportunity to shine the light uh, of God's truth on hidden areas of darkness in my heart and expose those things, bring those things to the light so that, so that Father God can help us deal with those things. That's why, again, confessing our faults to one another has become a lost art in the body of Christ. Yet it's, it's very, very important. But the reason so many people are reluctant or hesitant to do it is because they're, they're afraid that they're going to gossip and, and talk about you behind your back. So when Jesus is talking about, I now call you friends and I've told you everything the Father has, has told to me, he's, he's, 
acknowledging that they have grown to a, a level of trust now where he's able to confide in them and share with them. But, but also keep this in mind, a, a friend is someone who, who knows you and you know them. Amen. And so you ever had a friend that did something out of character? And you're like, man, I know that's not who you really are. I know that's not how you really live. I, I know that's not your true nature, right? And so again, Jesus is, is saying that in essence, I, I, I know you now, you know me. And, um, and so, but listen to verse 16. It's very important because Jesus has just called them friends. And I think it's important. Look at me for a minute before we go to verse 16. It's important for us to understand the affection that God has for us. It's important. We talked last Sunday morning, last Sunday night about His desire for you. God did not create you uh, just for some utilitarian purpose. He didn't just create you because He needed somebody to serve Him or worship Him. He created you not out of need, but out of desire. He created you because He wanted you. He created you because He, he, he desired to share Himself with you. Amen. And it's very, very important that we understand this. Some of you have heard me say this before, I'm going to say it again. When I wake up in the morning, one of the things that I confess is that my life is not my own to do with as I please. I acknowledge that, that God is my Father, but I also, first of all, acknowledge that He is the potter, I am the clay. He is infinitely more to me than a potter. He is infinitely more to me than a hand on the potter's wheel. And I am infinitely more to Him than clay. But that is where our relationship begins. And I cannot ever afford to lose sight of that. He is much more to me than a potter. I am much more to Him than a lump of clay. But again, He's one, I'm two. He's creator, I'm creation. He is the desire of all nations and I am desired of Him and by Him. Amen. So Jesus reveals to them that they are more than servants to Him. He doesn't just see them as somebody who can, who can do something for Him, but He says, I regard you, I see you, I consider you, and now call you friends. I could spend a lot of time right here, okay? In, in, in a day and age of Facebook where somebody can have a thousand friends, I'm concerned that we're losing what, a, what a, the word friend actually means. Jesus wasn't talking about an acquaintance here. He was talking about a bosom buddy. He was talking about a beloved one. He was talking about someone that he uh, was connected to and someone who was connected to him. But then he gives us this very important reminder to go along with this revelation. Verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. So this phrase, I want us to focus in on this in the time we have remaining this morning. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I want that to wash over you this morning. I, I want the Holy Spirit to help each individual in this room come to the conclusion or a deeper understanding and conclusion that you have been chosen this morning. You have been chosen this morning. Say it with me. I've been chosen. I've been chosen. I am a chosen one. I am a chosen one. 
Amen. It's very, very important for us to understand and recognize that we have been chosen. We have been chosen. Now, we see that God chose us at creation, but He chose us again at redemption. In other words, it's one thing for God to choose us by, by virtue of Him creating us, and of course, as we've already established from the Word of God, that He created us from desire because He wanted us. Amen. But it communicates a whole different level, a whole other level of desire for us when we see that the same God who created us then sent one member of the Trinity and, and that member of the Trinity, Jesus, He sacrificed His life just to give us the opportunity to come back into the family of God. You've been chosen this morning. I don't know what you have experienced in life. I don't know who has hurt you. I don't know who has victimized you. I don't know who in life may have harmed you or rejected you. But you listen to me and you listen to me well. You are chosen by God this morning. You are a chosen one by your Creator. Amen. Jesus says it this way, if I could paraphrase, please. I've called you friends, but don't ever make the mistake of thinking you chose me. I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now notice, and even though I'm here to correct it this morning, I did the very thing that we often do with this passage. And that is, we only focus on the part about being chosen. And that is absolutely a critically important thing for us to come to terms with. But Jesus wasn't just wanting to communicate this morning that we have been chosen, but He was wanting us to also understand that our being chosen was, was something that He did and not something that we did. In other words, again, He said it best, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, this is potentially confusing to some people because clearly we had a choice to make, did we not? I remember when I was just a little boy and the pastor gave the altar call on a Sunday night at church, North Highlands Baptist Church. I remember when he gave the altar call and the Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart and I had a choice to make. And I chose to get up out of my seat and to respond to that altar call. I chose to walk down to that altar and to pray the sinner's prayer and to give my life to Jesus. And so it would be very easy for me to become confused and to say that I chose Him because obviously I made a choice. Are you seeing this? I made a choice to what? I made a choice to receive Him. I made a choice to receive Him. And that is an extremely important choice that every human being has to make. But obviously Jesus is wanting us to understand something here that, that, that may on the surface seem confusing and, and, and the opposite of what He's saying uh, may seem or appear uh, you know, to be true. In other words, it does on the surface seem like we chose Him. But in reality, we did not choose Him, but instead, He chose us. So what did we do? We received Him. 
We accepted His abundance of grace and His freely offered gift of salvation and righteousness. Now, again, if, if you've said this, I'm not picking on you this morning, but sometimes we talk about how we found the Lord. I found Him. My, my friend, please, you, you need to correct that. You didn't find Him. He found you. He found you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so, obviously, you know, on, on one level, it's like, well, no, I, you know, I was lost and I was looking for him. And, and, and I did find him, Pastor Mark. But see, what you're not taking into consideration is the, 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 the tenure of this thing, the timing of this thing. Because the Bible clearly says that he chose you before you ever even existed to choose him. He said yes to you before you were ever even alive or had breath in your lungs to say yes or no to Him. He chose you first. You didn't find Him. He found you. You didn't choose Him. He chose you. Let me give you some verses right quick on this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 6. Just as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predetermined, predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, His will, His choice, His decision, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. One more, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, not when you called on Him, not when you walked the aisle as a kid or as an adult, but this purpose and grace was, a given, was given to us before time began. Before time began. Think about it this way. Had He not chosen to create you, you would not exist to say yes to Him. Had He not chosen to redeem you, you would not have the option to choose Him or to say yes to Him. But I think Jesus is wanting us to understand something far deeper this morning than, than just a, a, a superficial understanding of these things. And so I want us to take a moment to dig into this. Because I believe this important truth goes to our attitude towards Him more than anything else. Because if we think we chose Him, then we will continue to think we can have a relationship with Him on our terms. You see, if it's His choice, then it's His agenda. But if we continue to think of it as our choice, then we will continue to think that it's our agenda. If we think we chose Him, then we think that we can continue to pick and choose what kind of relationship, what kind of fellowship we'll have with Him. But if we understand it for what it really is, 
is that we were chosen by Him before we even existed to say yes or no to Him, then we understand that it's His agenda and not our agenda. That it's fellowship and relationship with Him on His terms as opposed to fellowship and relationship with Him on your terms and my terms. Who remembers Who remembers the day that you would go and buy a hamburger and they served the hamburger to you the way they chose to serve the hamburger to you Now, that was a big deal for me because I'm a grown man and I still eat like a small child in some regards, okay? I want, and I'll sometimes even spell it out like this, you know. I want the meat, the cheese, the ketchup, and the mustard. Nothing else. But there was a day that if you went to McDonald's, they were going to put the onions and the pickle on there. It only came one way. So Burger King, this younger generation is getting educated this morning. So Burger King trying to separate themselves from the, the, the lead dog in the fast food uh, industry, you know, McDonald's. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. At Burger King, thank you, Bryce, you can have it your way. Now, we take it for granted that, you know, we could always have it our way, but you used to couldn't have it your way. You had it their way. If you wanted a hamburger from McDonald's, you received the hamburger that they chose for you. You didn't go in there and choose a hamburger. They chose it for you and you went and you received, after handing them some money, you received the cheeseburger on their terms. And then you took a napkin and you scraped those onions off and you held it out for my mother to get the pickle because she liked the pickles. Then you had to deal with the pickle flavor and the onion flavor that had soaked into your bread. There was no choosing. It was only receiving. Are you following me this morning? This, I believe, is what Jesus was communicating to us when He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. As long as we think we chose Him, then we're going to go in here into this relationship and we're going to, we're going to start trying to make demands. We're going to start trying to tell Him, we want a little bit of this and, and you hold that and, and I'm all for this, but you know that really is not my personality. This, this kind of stuff here is, I, I, I wasn't raised that way. And, and it's, it's really, you know, this whole clapping and, and lifting hands and, and, and oh my God, please. Uh, you know, it's like speaking in tongues is the horseradish or something. You know what I'm saying? It's like, get that, get that out of here right you know and and so we we have this whole approach that that it's it's like you know some kind of uh, buffet 
you know, that we, we take a little bit of what we want in relationship with God and leave the rest. Now what you've got to understand here is that Jesus isn't trying to be hard. He's, 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 not, he's not trying to have this attitude like you're going you're gonna to have it this way or not at all because I, by God I am God and, that, and that's how it's going to be. No, it's because we are not qualified to understand or even ask for what we really want and need in, in fellowship with God. Thank you, Father, that you let Jesus negotiate our new and eternal covenant with you on our behalf. You know the Bible says that if you're born again, you're seated together with Jesus in heavenly places. Can you imagine if a committee of human beings were making some kind of contract or entering into some kind of negotiations with God the Father? Can you imagine any of us saying, you either make me a joint heir with Jesus or don't create me at all? You either seat me together with Jesus on His throne with Him or don't bother redeeming me, don't bother saving me. You either give me the Holy Spirit in full measure or you just keep your old salvation. Can you, in other words, we would, have, we would never say these things. The point I'm trying to make is this. We didn't choose Him because if we, if we were allowed to choose Him, we would never choose what Father desires for us. We would never, ever dream of asking. We would never, ever dream of ordering what it is that He has always longed for us to have, what He's always intended and desired to give us. Jesus is saying, hey, you... you you didn't choose me. I chose you. He came to find you, to save you, to restore you. Think about it for a moment. See, we only think of, of seek and save that which was lost. We only think of it in terms of our lostness. I once was lost, but now I'm found. We never ever consider it in terms of him actually losing something when he lost us. Have you ever lost your keys? Have you ever lost your wallet? Have you ever looked around you in, in, a, in a store and all of a sudden your kid that was standing right there is not standing right there any longer? And that sense of panic that sweeps over you until you realize they're inside that round rack of clothes? Our lostness equals something he lost. We talk about our being lost and now we're found. Well, the reason he came to find you is because you were lost and he wanted to find you. He wanted you back. So when He came to find you, He literally came to lay claim on what was His in the beginning.
We hear like folks, you know, law, we've had it here before. Somebody lose jewelry, you know, hey, you know, we found this, you know, we got it. If you can describe it, you know, because obviously, you know, somebody, hey, you know, it sounds like a way to get a ring here. You know, no, no. See, so the idea is, you know, if, if somebody else has tried to lay claim to something that's yours, hey, that's mine. I lost that. That's mine now. That's the attitude that our Heavenly Father has towards us. I said it once already. I'm going to say it again. When Jesus said, you did not choose Him, He chose you, we have to understand this now from the position that your life is not your own to do with as you please. In John 17, Jesus said this to His Father. He says, Father, all those that You have given Me... Well, again, let's make sure we understand who's been given to Jesus. Everyone who received the gift of Jesus that Father gave to us, Father gave His Son to the world. Everyone in the world who receives the gift that Father gave, Father gives that person to Jesus. Then Jesus says it this way, All who are Mine are now Yours. So notice, Jesus became the link. Jesus became this determining factor. Father God gave Him as many as receive Him. Father God gives to Jesus as many as belong to Jesus now belong to the Father. Do you see how this cycle works? He can't be yours until you are His. He can't be yours until you are His. You're deceiving yourself this morning if you think you can have fellowship with God on your terms. You're deceiving yourself if you think you can have fellowship with God on your terms. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. I know I'm about out of time, but I want to at least try to get started on this. Praise God. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. You get anything out of this this morning? I'm going to ask you, um, give you a little homework assignment, okay? Um, Matthew chapter 20, um, beginning at verse number 1, we have what's called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Okay? And in Matthew chapter 22, we have the parable of the wedding feast. Okay? Now, two parables. Your homework assignment is, I want you to take the time to read those in their entirety, okay? I'm not going to take the time to do it this morning. Let me just briefly give you a synopsis of the first parable, Matthew 20. A landowner goes in the morning to hire some day labor. He hires a group of men and they agree to work 
all day for a denarius, in other words, an agreed upon amount. We see that this landowner goes back mid-morning, afternoon, late afternoon, and then one hour before quitting time. And each time when he goes back, he brings more laborers in. But in the case of all the ones that came later in the day, he never told them what he would pay them. He just told them to go and work. And they agreed to go and work without any contract, without any agreement. When it came time to pay, he started with the ones who were hired last, and he paid them a denarius, a whole day's wage. And he worked his way all the way down, paying everybody a denarius until it came to the folks who were hired first. Now, they're getting all excited because they're thinking, if he paid the guys who only worked an hour what he told us he was going to pay us, he's fixed to really pay us handsomely, but instead he paid them a denarius as well. They began to gripe and complain. And so let's pick it up in verse number 13. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the, first, so the last will be first and the first last. For many are called but few chosen. Do you see that? All right. In the next parable, and I'll get to it this evening, he's going to talk about a king whose son was to be married. And he sent out the invitations to all of his friends. But the Bible says that they all took the invitation lightly. Oh, I wish I had some time to preach right there, okay? The king has invited them to come, but they took the invitation lightly and refused to come. They had excuses. They had other things that were more important. And so <clears throat> this king sent out his servants and said, find anybody you can, anywhere you can find them, and compel them to come to the wedding feast. Find them good and bad people. And of course, he assembled a large crowd to the wedding feast. But there was one person present who did not accept the garment that was offered him. And this is what the king said to, um, well, praise God. Let me just keep talking here. I'm not going to find all those verses. I got way ahead of myself. Here's the point I want you to notice. He said to that man, friend, he used that word again, friend. Why are you here without a garment? Singers, musicians, you can come. Why are you here without a garment? He cast him out and then he said again, many are called, few are chosen. 
Many are called, few are chosen. The key to unlock both of these parables is found in the word friend. The word that Jesus used for friend is a unique word in the Greek language. I need to give this to you. I know, amen. I'm sure you've got important places to be, but just a few more minutes, please, and we'll do communion. Amen. The key is the word friend. Again, Jesus is telling these stories, and because he told these two parables this close to one another and was repetitive with the word friend in both, many call few were chosen. He's two completely different stories, but all designed to help clarify and make the same point. Now, let's talk about this word friend. It, first of all, is referring to the dependence of a great house. So, again, people who are dependent upon um, someone who's very wealthy. Next, we see this word is used, and I'll keep this G-rated, but a woman who would be considered a mistress. Someone who is between a wife and a prostitute. We may refer to this person as a kept woman in our common day uh, language. This word was also used for a mercenary. A mercenary would be a soldier who fights for money but is not loyal to any nation. This is someone who basically belongs to the highest bidder without any true allegiance to any country. And finally, the word is used to describe those who would pretend to be friends or companions only to get whatever personal benefit or advantage they could from the relationship. Are you seeing a pattern here? In other words, many are called, few are chosen. I used to, I used to hear it explained this way. The chosen are the ones who showed up. That's really not true. What we see is that those who are chosen are those who are willing to have a relationship on God's terms. Amen? Those who are willing to serve on His terms. Those who are willing to feast with Him on His terms. Not what you want to do, not how you want to do it, not what's in it for me being the driving force. See, that's the, the driving difference between I chose him, he didn't choose me, is what's in this for me. That attitude will, will never bring you into the fulfillment of your oneness with God. And that's, that's the, the, the word in the Greek is heteros. And a heteros, again, is someone who's like a mercenary. I'm in it for, I'm, I'm here for what I can get out of this, but my heart is not with this army. My heart is not with this king. My, my allegiance is not to this nation. My allegiance is basically to me. 
Amen. Amen. Those who are serving communion, if you would come, I want to pray for us all as you do. Father, thank you this morning for the men and women in this room. Thank you, Father, for the things that you're teaching us. Father, thank you for helping us come to terms with two things this morning. First of all, we didn't choose you, but thank you for choosing us. Thank you for choosing us. And Father, forgive us this morning for having an attitude of, of, of that of a mercenary, that of a pretend friend or companion who's simply in a relationship with you for what we can get from you. Father, help us to correct that this morning. Help us, Father, to, to humble ourselves before you and accept a relationship with you and fellowship with you on your terms. Because your terms, Father, are better than anything we could ever comprehend or ask for ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. They're going to begin to serve you communion this morning. Um, if you're a member of the body of Christ, you're a member of us this morning. We would love for you to partake of communion together with us. If you're served first, if you would, please hold your emblems until everyone's served, and then we will partake together.